He's to the 45. He's oh, to he's the 50. Oh, no, he's not. No, he's not going to plant it in the midfield of the O, is he? Wow. Yes, he is. Rattler again to throw it. Steps up in the pocket. Throws on the run. guys welcome to the Oklahoma Breakdown Podcast brought to you guys by SB Nation's Crimson and Cream Machine. I'm your host Kamiar Morabian joined by Andy Facemeyer of the Smoking Musket. Last year we didn't get to play this game we podcasted about it uh, but we didn't get to play this game. How are you doing? How's life man? I'm doing good you know it's it's exciting to be back into something that resembles a little bit like normal. I went and watched a, a college football game this weekend for the first time in over a year yeah uh, so that was exciting went and watched uh, unlv get plastered by iowa state uh at the they, unlv plays in the raiders stadium so gotta gotta experience that it was fun explain explain to the listeners why you went to the unlv iowa state game i don't think they, i I'm, I'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna assume our listeners think you're living in west virginia right now yeah so i live in i live in yeah we talk all yeah. the time so I live in Arizona. I live in Flagstaff, uh, but my sister and brother-in-law live in uh, Las Vegas. So I'm uh, uh, in Las Vegas, you know, about once a month or so. And so my brother-in-law and I were kind of bored, and we were like, "Hey, you want to go watch UNLV game?" And I was like, "Oh wait, they're playing Iowa State, so that'd be a good opportunity to go watch, uh, go watch a, a future opponent, right? Uh, do some scouting." Uh, and I have some thoughts about Iowa State, but. Uh, do you think they're soft because I think they're soft, but I also think that they're playing the same pony dog and pony trick show they do every year where they nearly lose to Northern Iowa. They get their ass beat by Iowa and they, they somehow hit a point in the year in which they start playing relatively well. Or do you have different thoughts based upon what you saw? I mean, I think that's true. I think uh, like, and I thought you and Ovi, who's not a very talented football team and who, I thought Iowa State made that game really hard on themselves for the first three quarters. Mm-hmm. Like it was relative, like it wasn't close. Like you never felt like UNLV was in that game, but it was still like 21 to three or something in the third quarter. And then they just, you know, inertia took over. Right. Um, so I felt like Iowa State, like I told my brother in law this, I was watching it, like, they had 20, 30 yards downfield anytime they wanted because UNLV could do nothing to stop their tight ends. And they just wouldn't do it. Like every time they went to a couple of those like out routes where they run, I forget what his name is, 88 is really good. Uh, they could just like do that. Like they could have put that game away in the first quarter if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. And they just didn't. So I don't know if it's like, if there's something about them that they just don't get going. So their defense is really good. Their defense is legit. But I'm not convinced that they're, I don't know. I think that they're, I think people are going to figure out how to how to slow their offense down, and then they're going to be in real trouble. I think Iowa's, I think Iowa, like I think if you want to figure out how to beat Iowa State, you just need to watch the Iowa tapes. It feels like in some sense that, 
Oklahoma and, and Iowa State are seemingly off to very similar starts despite being favorites to go to the Big 12 title game this year. Just a bunch of subpar performances. OU obviously didn't lose a game uh, against a Big 10 opponent, but just very subpar performances in comparison to what people were expecting to happen. So this weekend, I think the line started at like 14 and a half points and immediately OU fans were like, yeah, dude, we're not even going to pay attention to the line anymore. Everybody's just hoping for a win after the outing against Tulane and then Nebraska. So let's dive into this West Virginia team a little bit more. Let's let's get to know them a little bit more before we talk about OU West Virginia. Sure. West Virginia indeed didn't have the best outing against Maryland, but they played really, 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 really well against Virginia Tech for like nearly the entire game. Yeah. Almost gave it away, but... What seems to have changed between the home opener or the, uh, the the opener of the season to now? So I thought we, I was actually not too upset about the Maryland game, to be perfectly honest. Um, I think Maryland's probably going to end up being fairly competitive in the uh, in the Big Ten, and that's partially because I don't think the Big Ten's very good. I'm more upset that we're like, so we play ten Power Five teams. Why? I have no idea. Like, I I know why we did this. Like, when we made this, when when Oliver Luck made this schedule, but that's a whole other, like, issue. Um, but so I think, like, the progression that we saw, though, and really for the first half of that, that, that the Virginia Tech game, is we moved the ball on offense. Like, that was what happened in Maryland. The Maryland game is, like, our offense just, like, became non-existent, and we wore our defense out. Mm-hmm. Um just like could not ask the defense to keep bailing the offense out. And we almost had to do that again. It was almost the case against Virginia Tech. So I think like execution has gotten better. I think one of the big wrinkles that we've added that makes us more difficult to deal with um, is incorporating uh, green into the passing game a little bit more, like having that mobile quarterback threat. Like he's basically a five foot nine, like running back who can throw the ball. So I think that little wrinkle helped us against Virginia Tech because uh, he was able to come in and move the ball a couple times. I think wide receivers catching passes <laughs> was a big difference in the Virginia Tech game. They usually so, help. They usually well, help. That was a problem last year was drops. Um, just people not like – that was why it was like so hard to like figure out what was it. Was it quarterback? Was it the offense? Was it mm. people not catching balls? Uh, so I think that was a big difference. I think um, we ran the ball last week, which is not something we did. I think I think that can also that's also probably a big area of improvement is we ran the ball much better uh, against Virginia Tech than we did against Maryland. We were not very good on the ground, which that's a big thing. We have to be able to to establish the run, or we can't do what we want to do in the passing game. Um, so yeah, I think those were I think those are probably the biggest things. Is just like continuing to get a little bit more comfortable uh, running the ball, people catching passes. Um, and again, for the first three quarters, I thought just a day he was really good on offense. I thought he made good decisions and he didn't, he didn't do, do anything stupid. And then he did something stupid and it all just fell apart, but we pulled it out. <laughs> and so speaking of that, because Oklahoma, we, we podcast last year, we were like in, under extreme like doubt that this game was likely to be played. But we're like, well, let's just podcast anyway, see where this goes. 
And so the last quarterback who you face with West Virginia is Austin Kendall. I think Austin Kendall, I think it's at Louisiana Tech now. Yep. Uh, Jared Deegee. What about his skill set should OU fans be aware of going into the game on Saturday? So I think there are some things that he can do pretty well. He knows the offense really, really well. Um, that's why you know Brown has, has stuck with him. He apparently was way better in summer camp than than Green was. Um, there's some things he can't do, <laughs> and I think the and I he has a really bad long ball but he can distribute the ball fairly well. He's not as great if you can get him off his first read, but he, you know, he's really good with these middle crossing patterns. Um, when we're running at tempo, we do very well. So he's pretty good at like dink and dunk running, you know, mesh stuff, running a lot of slants. We're doing stuff like that. He's really, really good at that. Um, OU, is, think, OU has been having a lot of trouble with crossing patterns over the middle in dink and dunk style. So that's interesting to hear. Yeah, when we start, like, he just he just does not have a very accurate long ball. Uh, so we're not the Dana Holgerson team that was going to, like, you know, split you up the middle and, like, run for, run a four verts operation. Like, that's just not who this team is. And right. Daigie can't do that anyway. And Austin Kendall couldn't either. The difference though is Austin Kendall, like Austin would would underthrow things. Mm-hmm. Daigie overthrows things. He just puts which, too much on it. Yeah, which is what you'd rather have in that situation. I would way rather yeah. have one hundred percent of the time. Uh so I think that's something to watch for. I think I think the two quarterbacks is something that you're gonna have to watch as well. Uh to this point when Green has came in, he's pretty much been a runner. Um, so when he comes in, you're, you're looking at some, at a guy who's going to be, you know, running his own read, uh, option, you know, kind of maybe a true option, pat option operations. He might see him pass this game. I know that that's something Neil has talked about, about wanting to see him run that, um, to, to run the RPO kind of stuff a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think you're going to have to deal with that. I think that's going to be a storyline is how much, how much do the two quarterback, how much do we use the two quarterbacks? And is that like a wrinkle that, you know, is something to watch for. Uh, so I think you'll see that again, they're very different quarterbacks. When we run those, like the offense, when it's pretty remarkable to me, how different the offense looks when we put, you know, green in versus when Daigie's there. And it's both basically just mobility. Like Daigie is just not a guy who's going to, you know, escape from the pocket. Right. Cause he's more of a pocket presence guy, but still has a little bit of mobility to him. Yeah. Yep. He can, he can move around, but he's like, his preference is to like stick in the pocket and throw. Whereas I think, and the limitation with green is that he still hasn't quite like figured out, you know, as I think, you know, you've you've seen you, Oklahoma's had some, you know, mobile quarterbacks who had to learn this lesson a little bit of like when to stay in the pocket versus when to like just take off and run. We're still we're still dealing with that problem right now, <laughs> right now. <laughs> so we know about Deggy or Deggy. We know about Dante Stills. What are names? What are other names that Sooner fans should be aware of coming this Saturday that are likely to make plays? 
Well, so I think on offense, you've got to be aware of, of Letty Brown. Um, Letty's, you know, I think Letty's one of the better running backs in the conference. Mm. Uh, and he's like your, your, your prototypical running back. Like he's just a, a dude who can make plays. Uh, and he, you know, I think again, someone told me that he's played almost every snap against uh, the two power five teams we played. So he can go the distance. Um, you know, he's had, he's had a thousand, he had a thousand yards last year. If Letty gets to a hundred yards in a game, we're extraordinarily likely to win those games. Uh, I think, you know, we've lost maybe one game where he got to a hundred yards or something. So I think Letty Brown's a guy to watch. Uh, Cause I think he's just, you know, he's such a key to like making sure the offense runs. But he's also added like the threat of being a pass catcher this year, which is really nice to have, you know, a guy out in the flat who can make guys miss. Um, so I think he, on, on offense, he's somebody to watch. Um, Sam James has has really the redemption story of Sam James has been great. Sam uh, Sam has tons of talent, but really had the yips last year, just like some really unfortunate drops, but has been pretty good this year. Uh, he's already got three touchdowns uh, in three games. So, so Letty, so he's really came on. Uh, Winston Wright is electric, um, on special teams. He's really good. Anytime he gets the ball, like give like Winston Wright moves like Tavon Austin, oh, um, God. That's, which, that's which I know that you yeah. have lots that's, of, that's like, that's like PTSD flashback memories of Mike Stoops era, putting yeah, 10, so, 10 DBs in the field to stop one guy. Winston has already returned one kickoff for a touchdown, one he almost got, and another he got like 60, 70 yards on. All right. Uh, so it's like they're punting the ball outside of, out, out of bounds. This yeah, Saturday. so you, you do not want to kick to Winston Wright. He is, <laughs> he is really, really good as a returner. So Winston Wright's somebody to keep your eye on. Um, and then defensively, there are some some guys to keep on keep on your radar who aren't, um, you know, who aren't uh, uh, Darius, who are one of the you know isn't a Stills. Uh, keep your eye on uh, uh, Alonzo Adai. Alonzo Adai has been great. Um, he plays in that kind of like spur bandit, okay. whatever like okay. weird thing you want to call it that. Um, that we play in our three, three, five. Um, so he's, he's a guy who makes a ton of plays. Um, but you also want to keep an eye out on uh, a, a guy who introduced himself to the country last week. I think um, who the, the coaches and stuff had been talking about. Um, and that was Jared Bartlett. He had three solo sacks uh, last week against uh, Virginia tech, really big sacks to in key positions. So that was a thing. I think um, you know Alonzo Adai. Uh, I think you've got to watch out for. He he's been really great. Um, Sean Mahone. So there's just some guys who can really make a lot of plays. Um, I think Daryl Porter Jr. was great last year. He's an MWVU guys know uh, from, from historical. Sorry about that. You're fine. Uh, so yeah, I think those are some guys to keep an eye on. Um, and again, I think Garrett Green. I think. What does Green? What does Garrett Green do when he comes into into the game? Because that's such a different change from like having a, a guy who's not like 
super mobile in the pocket to a guy who can flat out fly. Right. And so Oklahoma played a team in Nebraska that basically tried to keep every single thing in front of them. They played soft zones. Nebraska's front seven is actually pretty decent on defense, despite their offensive line being garbage. Uh, they played soft zones. They forced OU to drive the field. I think OU got maybe eight or nine possessions, and only I think they got nine possessions on offense and only scored on three of them. And so, what I guess I'm asking is, do you envision West Virginia to deploy the maybe the same strategy and limiting the amount of snaps that Spencer Rattler gets to have, that the OU offense gets to have, and force OU's hand and maybe? you know, sustaining longer drives that will make them possibly trip up over themselves? Or do you think they're going to get after it from the get-go? Like, what, what do you think they're going to do? Because Nebraska and these other teams are going to play these big 4-2-5 sets, 4-3 sets, whereas getting into Big 12 play, in order to stop the spread, we're going to see a lot of 3-3-5s. Three, three and yeah. so what's, what's what's your opinion on that? How do you how do you envision West Virginia trying to stop this OU offense that really hasn't found its has haven't found its groove yet, I guess? Well, so and I think that that we're still learning a little bit about like what this WVU defense looks like. We're on our like third different like defensive coordinator in three years, although the the general format has stayed the same. Um so my my thought is is they're going going to that what we have done in the first three games has been, you know, try and get pressure on the quarterback, try and try and get try and get people in uh, first, second, and longs, and get them off the field on third. An interesting, an interesting statistical anomaly, and I don't have the exact numbers, but I have a anecdotally, we're actually way worse at third and long than we are at third and short. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had three goal line or three like red zone stands against Virginia Tech last week um, and had a couple against Maryland as well. So as much as I think they'd like to get them off the, off the, you know, off as quickly as possible, I think they're also really comfortable with forcing you into, you know, long third and goals and forcing you to, to get short yardage. I think they feel really comfortable with that because they, I feel like they think that we have, one of the better defensive lines in, in the conference. Um, so my guess is that they'll try and get after Spencer Rattler, force him to to make plays with his feet, which he's more than capable of doing. Um, you saw that a little with Brewmeister. Like basically, it was we're going to play really tough. You know, we're going to make you. We're going to keep everything in front of us with our corner, with our safeties and our cornerbacks, but we are going to bring as much pressure as we can and make you throw the ball to win and make you make plays, which that's what we did against Maryland. And Mm. it mostly worked. Um, So I think that's, I think the biggest question for me is can we, so I'll put it this way. I think for at least a half a game, West Virginia's defense can go toe to toe with Oklahoma's defense. Oh, I I, I, feel I, like, I fully agree. I, fully, I think I, my I question agree. is, can we do that enough times? <laughs> and <laughs> the thing is, is that Oklahoma's offensive line, they're still figuring things out. Like they are still rotating centers. They're still rotating tackles. And so when we bring up guys on the defensive line and and guys on maybe that, you know, it's a three, three, five, but you bring up one of the linebackers for like, I guess a faux four, two, five, that's a rush edge. 
there that there could be trouble brewing there. I could I could easily see that, especially for an, ex, an inexperienced offensive line that's still gelling. Um, Oklahoma, they struggled against Tulane. They it, it's weird to think about it. Nebraska that. Oklahoma seemingly had the game in hand. They were playing relatively well on defense. The offense wasn't playing its best, but you understood Oklahoma was still likely going to win the game regardless. But after seeing Oklahoma struggle with Tulane and Nebraska, like, and then you saw Ole Miss dog walk Tulane, and then I we don't know what Nebraska is going to be, but despite the fact that they already lost to Illinois, they lost to Oklahoma. Which I watched that Illinois game, and that was ugly. Oh my god, ugly baby. That was one of the uglier football games, and Illinois oh is not a very good football team. They aren't, yeah. and that and that's that's something I kept an eye on on Saturday. I was like, okay, we'll see how good Illinois is. Like, well, nope, that's not that's not good. And so after seeing those things, right. And, and then Nebraska blows out a couple of n- nobodies, Buffalo and Fordham, and seeing Oklahoma struggle with those teams. What is, I guess, your confidence level and maybe the, even the fan base's confidence level heading into Norman on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being like really competitive to maybe even winning, on a scale of 1 to 10, how confident are West Virginia folks walking into this game? Even though despite... West Virginia hasn't beaten OU in the conference yet. I feel like there's a decent chance this could be a really, really, really good football game that we've seen in the past between the Sooners and the Mountaineers. I think there's a good chance that I don't think that I don't think that it's going to be a walk for either team. I I, I just have very little confidence in, in winning that kind of a road game, and and so I I might not. I don't know if I reflect the the, the mood. Um, but I would say I probably feel like maybe a five or a six. I, I tell you what I'm, I'm kind of thinking this game might end up looking like. If you remember a few years ago when we opened uh, road play and Big 12 play, we opened at Oklahoma on the road. Yep. And it was like a, it was a really close game. It was like 14 to seven, something like that, for the majority of the game and just uh, – Oh, you just finally kind of pulled away there at the end. And so I'm, I'm thinking it could be another game like that. Um, I don't, I don't get the sense that it, it's going to be a shootout. I don't think, and I don't, C- think, we have, and I don't C- think we have guns for that. So, OU fans would say, God, if it's 14 to seven and it drags on for that long there, that's cause for concern because this team has shown, Hey, if they get up for two scores or, you know, 17 points that, they, they they lack maybe a killer instinct. So, like, for the fact that if West Virginia is able to hang around, that might be bad news for the Sooners. So that's one of the reasons why I asked that question because this team, they, they're talented as all get out on paper. They brought a ton of people back from last year that played incredibly well, but the Sooners team still just has not put it together. In West Virginia, for them, they've looked relatively well. They've looked relatively good. And with the exception of like those miscues against Virginia Tech, we would be probably having a different conversation right now if if we're, if we're being honest. Yeah, and I think that the, the 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 my my and I guess that's to where my a little bit of my skepticism comes from is that we had the Maryland game in hand and made two the the one Jared Daigie interception was just. 
I still have not gotten over it like three <laughs> weeks later. That's how bad of a throw it was into double cover. was not just that he threw into double coverage in the corner of the end zone. It was that he had a wide open guy on the underneath route that was the actual primary of the route of the, of the like, I don't know. It's just, Sooner fans feel your pain in, in, in that exact statement. Yes. And he did. And he kind of made a big <laughs> last week against Virginia Tech that opened that game up. Like, I don't know why he threw late over the middle in the fourth quarter when you just take us like at the worst, just take the sack. Right. Like, right. Right. Sack. So like, that's, I guess my, like, I, I, if we can get out of our own way, this is a football team that I think that I don't think that there are too many teams in the big 12 that we couldn't beat um, on the right day. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just have, I'm just afraid we can't get out of our own way. And I can see, I can see a, a, a sort of like comic moment where both of these teams are just continuing to not get out of their own way. Uh, and that keeps it closer than it needs to be in one direction or the other. So I guess like, I'm not, I'm not overly optimistic about going into Norman and winning. It would be nice. Uh, and certainly I think there's reason to believe that like the type of win that you got it out against Virginia tech is, is program changing. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like that was the first rivalry win for us on campus, like true rivalry win. Maryland doesn't count. Marshall doesn't count. Like that's the first true rivalry win on campus since we beat Pitt at home in 2011. Wow. Like it has been a decade since we hosted one of our primary rivals at home and beat them. So big deal. Like that's a huge deal for us as like a program. And for Neil, it was a, I I hate to say it, but I think it was pretty much a must win. So, because like the trajectory of the season is down from there. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'd say I'm not like, I, I would not be surprised. I won't be like surprised if we lose or even if we don't aren't super competitive. That's, but I would expect that we're competitive and that we have a couple chances and that we might make it interesting. And, and to that effect, what is the fan pulse about Neil Brown? Uh, my vibes at big 12 media days and knowing who he is, is still like still can't honestly get a read on the guy. But what is what is the vibe in the pulse or that surrounds him and his tenure at West Virginia right now? So the fans really like him, uh, and I like the guy too. Like, it's hard to explain to some like to outsiders like what a big deal this is. But when Neil talks, he sounds like somebody who could be from my own town. Hmm. Like he feels like, and he acts like a Westford. Like he has sort of like one of us, like one of us mentality. One of us, like he has the mannerisms. He understands the culture. He's bought into that, and so that has bought him some considerable like buffer. Because if we're being honest, I think this is a really crucial year for him. Um, he had to show some improvement over the last over the last two years like we're like the whole bit is that we're like returning to something right mm-hmm, right and so i think by and large the fan base likes him there are some things that like and we've talked about this on on over at the, the musket there are some concerns that some of us have 
that were kind of like shown in that Maryland game and that cropped up a little bit in the in the Virginia Tech game. One is um, that we're really great when we when we're on script, but like the second half of a game, we do not seem to be as good at making like changes, and that's that's concerning. Um, Oklahoma to, fans also feel your pain there as of late. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that I really, I think we're going to have to really see this year is, and it showed up big time last year and his first year, we have been awful the last two years off of a bye week, like mm-hmm. absolutely freaking atrocious after a bye week. Um, and so I think that's something I'm really keeping an eye on. Uh, so I think like he's going to need to, he has to have one of these quarterbacks like actually work out. Okay. Like, okay. If we are going to look at the long-term like prospect of Neil Brown being here very much longer or getting a better job, which I think we all kind of feel like it's going to happen at some point, mm-hmm. if it works out, he needs to have one of these quarterbacks work out. Um, whether that's Jarrett Green, uh, the guy who he's bringing in, who's a, a fresh or going to be a freshman next year from Arizona, whose name I cannot remember to save my life. Um, So we'll see like what happens, but I think by and large, the fans are pretty happy with him. And obviously, like I said, beating Virginia tech bought him like some significant capital. You know, which it should, like I said, you know, it's been a long time since we have, we have won a a rivalry game like that. So, um, and you know, we hadn't beat Virginia tech since uh, 2003. So getting the, getting the black diamond trophy back was, I thought that was awesome. I I, I enjoyed every bit of that, and it, I thought that was very very cool to see, uh, especially in, in a year in which the Big Twelve looks like it's just like not very good. And you you saw West Virginia just taking it to Virginia Tech, and then you flip over the channel, and the next thing you know, I'm I see like how close it is, and how like close Virginia Tech is to scoring. And you're like, oh my god, what did I miss? <laughs> it, was, it was nerve-wracking it was a little nerve-wracking i won't lie um so i think that's and i think i'll be also frank i think i i think oklahoma and texas leaving the big 12 gives a renewed sense of optimism mm. for the fact that we can be uh as as kirch put it on twitter so so aptly the king of shit mountain again. Uh, so like that, you know, there's only one team in the big 12 that we haven't beaten and that's you guys. Uh, and Texas is obviously like, regardless of what they do, right. you know, so much of the, the gravity of the conference. So like, I think there is a lot of optimism about particularly if the divisions break out the way that they're supposed to. Yeah. Like East West. Yeah, East-West divisions that we would feel pretty comfortable long-term yeah. about being able to be pretty competitive. And what pisses me off about all that is the fact that they should have done this five to six years ago, and they spent all that money on those research firms, and nothing ever came of it. And then once OU in Texas decides to pack their bags, then they say, "Oh yeah, BYU. Don't worry about the honor code, bro. We got it. Like just, we'll, just we'll figure it out later." And that's it's like, how in the hell does that even happen? But let's get into a little bit of West Virginia culture before we go to a couple other questions. 
Sure. All right. You, you got to tell me about two things. Tell us about West Virginians and pepperoni rolls and tell us about why West Virginia folks burn couches. <laughs> All right. So the, the, the pepperoni rolls is probably the easier etymology to explain. Um, and so back in the coal mining days, um, the, the lore, such as the lore is that, uh, Coal miners' wives uh, were a lot of Italians uh, back in that, that, especially in that like area around Morgantown. Okay. Um, and so a lot of the coal miners' wives would make them a very simple lunch that they could eat in one hand. And so they would just take that piece of pepperoni, put it in some bread dough, and bake that bad boy. And so it's it's a real like it's both a very good thing. Pepperoni rolls are awesome. I strongly recommend them. I had some Saturday, as a matter of fact. Um, but also it's it's a, a nod to our cultural past. So it's a way to connect okay. to that like legacy of hardworking coal miners that you know we made the most of what we had for years. So is it like like is it like is it like a pig in a blanket, but with like pepperoni instead of like instead of like a hot dog, I guess? So it's more like um so it's it's and they come in like a little bit different varieties. Right. I'm definitely uh, a no cheese sliced pepperoni guy. Okay. Um but it's more like uh it's like a, a it's not quite pizza dough it's something between pizza and a hot roll okay so imagine okay. like something between pizza and a hot roll with like some pepperoni in it so it gets that nice like great pepperoni grease all up in it mm -hmm. so it's they're 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 magnificent <laughs> interesting just, it's one of my favorite things Tell uh, about so the burning couches so the burning couches i i uh no one has ever quite like explained this like how this came up and i've always wondered having having been at wvu at a time when we regularly did more regularly did this um they don't do it hardly ever anymore because the, the city really cracked down um and so i've always wondered like what the like how the people like like oh yeah let's go burn a couch right <laughs> Like, I've never quite understood the etymology of it, but, you know, essentially, you know, basically Grant Avenue, which was like party central for years and years and years. So like some guys just took a couch out in the middle after a, after a big win and started burning it. And it just, it, it took on a life of its own so much so that the city has an ordinance now um, that 72 hours in advance of designated events you're not allowed to have upholstered furniture on front porches and they literally go around and tell people to pull it off of their porches and can, you can be cited for it that's incredible um, which is quite entertaining yeah i, I actually uh, i've been to uh several couch burdens um over the years was uh, the last one that I think I remember was uh, when we beat Texas Tech in the Sweet 16 uh, when Bobby Knight was there. Has there ever been a couch burning that has gone horribly wrong? Oh, I mean, all of them went horribly wrong. I mean, <laughs> like, there was like cars got set on fire. Oh, God. One, I remember like a fire pole like an electric pole started to catch on fire. Like it's not a really bright idea. <laughs> like, just, it's not a good idea. It's college football fans. So it's it's not, you know, 
it's not the the the, the brightest of ideas um but it's it's it, it's certainly unique i will say that it, it's unique so I, I i don't i don't know when the last time that kind of thing happened was but part of that is that comes back to us not playing our rivals anymore cuz like you know you're not going to burn a couch cuz you beat iowa state or right kansas state maybe Oklahoma. if we've beaten oklahoma at some point maybe even Texas isn't quite worthy of a couch. Of um, I'm sure that hurts their feelings. I'm sure somewhere there's like a Longhorn there's fan a flag. Like, there's a flag somewhere being thrown right now. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, which I would like to just, unrelated, but just say thank you to the folks of Arkansas. <laughs> for. Oh, yeah. That was wonderful. Was, uh, to, to, to see Texas humbled before the entire nation was once again, well, very wonderful. And the fact that they like had a giant horns down on the their Megatron just was magnificent. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And well, welcome to the SEC, Texas, where they yeah, don't yeah, care about I your feelings. They're ready for the, that's what they're going to get every week. Exactly. And so, kind of moving on. We talked about this a little bit, and I and I know you live in Arizona. So, and there's a very, very famous Sooner that plays in Arizona. So do you have a favorite Sooner of all time or a Sooner that you actually just, or just like relatively like, it doesn't have to be football related. It can be anything. Lon Kruger. Lon Kruger. So uh, Coach Kruger, I actually got to meet him. Uh, We were playing Oklahoma in basketball. Uh, It was the Buddy Held game up at the Coliseum. Mm. And it was before the game and Coach Kruger, I was just standing down on the, because I, I was working, I was doing, I think I did stats for that game. Um, and so I was down on the court just kind of hanging around while during warm-ups, uh, like shoot around before they were like, had let anyone in the building. And Coach Kruger and I just like talked for like 10 minutes about the weather. Yeah. Kruger's which was just nice like guy. such a cool experience. Yeah. Like you're you, you're getting ready to have like one of the biggest games of, the, of your season and you're just like chatting to some dude about the weather. Uh, so I've always just really respected Lon. I think he's he's a tremendous coach. I will, uh, I will never forget the Big 12 tournament game where Buddy Heald hit a buzzer beater at half court, and he was looking at the ribbon around the, around the arena and not the actual shot clock above the actual goalpost that would have won the game. He went and stood on the scorer's table like he had won the game, and they reviewed the tape, and oh, you lost. I'll never forget that. Buddy Hill was great. I mean, those Oklahoma teams were really good. I also have always liked Blake Griffin. I got to see Blake live and in person. We played Oklahoma down in the Coliseum. It was when we were still in the Big East. Um, we played Oklahoma uh, down in the Charleston Civic Center, which is a horrendous venue to watch the game at. Um, but I was courtside, and so I got to, like, see it, like, got to see Blake Griffin, like, from me to, like, my computer and he was just like, as a college player, was just a hoss. Yeah. Just like an absolute hoss. So, like, always had a great respect for him. Uh, football-wise, I mean, I love Baker Mayfield. I, I can't, like, I can't deny. Like, and I'm a Steelers fan, so I just, like. Same. We talk about it all the time. The Browns are just, like, an adorable little brother. So, I'm happy that they've got someone fun. They're an adorable little brother that's going to kick the hell out of Pittsburgh this year. And. We often talk about just sending Big Ben to the to, to the glue factory and just starting over anew. Oh, 
it's it's been it's not been a fun season already. It's only there's only been two games for the Steelers. Isn't My he going to this week? Is, is, I think he like tore his pack or something. Yeah, there's there's a pectoral issue, which I'm hoping sidelines him so we can see another quarterback and see more Najee Harris. But that's just that's just that's just from my point of view. How about West, West Virginia? They're coming in, and Oklahoma is pretty suspect, uh, not only on offense, but crossing routes over the middle. That, that's been giving them a lot of trouble, and that's something that you mentioned that has been a positive for 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 the uh, for Deggie. And so what do you believe, and we can go with advantages first, what do you believe that West Virginia possible advantages and disadvantages for this game this Saturday? Because it's a night game, too. Yeah, I think advantages. I think our special teams have been, and I could, I may definitely regret saying that. Um, but I think our special teams have been a big difference maker for us. Uh, blocked a uh, blocked a punt or a, a field goal against Maryland. A um, couple touchdown returns, like I mentioned for for Winston Wright, uh, have just been really really solid on on special teams. So I think that's a big, you know, advantage. Um, I think especially if a game's going to end up close, special teams is always great. Uh, defense, I think, has been really, really good. I'm hesitant to say any part of our offense is a <laughs> is an advantage, but you know, I think we we are capable of making some big plays. I agree. Uh, so I think Letty Brown can get into that next level. Uh, I think he's an. I think he's a future. Uh, especially, I think he's a, a future NFL player. I think he could be a top, you know, in a top, uh, like a third, second, third rounder. Uh, so I think that, that you know, we have some ability to do that. Um, and then, you know, our defense, obviously, I think can, can I think our defense can, can rattle uh, Spencer Rattler and probably, you know, maybe take advantage of that. Like you said, that the offensive line that's a little suspect um, that's still trying to gel because we're going to bring a ton of pressure. What about what about maybe shortcomings? What what are, what are disadvantages you think maybe the Mountaineers have? Yeah, so I think I think uh, they're they're a little fragile. I think I think that's what I've kind of like discovered, especially Daggy. I think he he if he makes a mistake, it it falls apart pretty quickly. So kind of uh, like quick quicksand, like one thing leads to another. Yeah, they're like he just is one of those guys that like, if he, he, and I think it's, it, it comes from a place of really wanting to try and make up for it. Right. And so he forced, he starts forcing things. That so I sounds, think that, that sounds so familiar again to OU fans with Spencer Rattler. Yeah. So I think a propensity to kind of make that to like, at, like to multiply your bad mistakes so that it's, it never feels like it's just one bad play. And then we're back to like good, good, good daggy again. It's like, we've made a bad play. We need to like, so I think that's that's a, a a big thing. I think the inability to be consistent on offense, hmm. just sort of connected. Hmm. Uh, I think like West Virginia's offense needs to be able to hold on to the ball for some longer stretches of time. We saw that against Virginia Tech in the first, like we had like a seven minute drive mm-hmm. to start off the second, the third quarter, which was great. But then we're just never able to do anything else with the with the ball. So I think being able to control that, I think that's something you got to be able to do to keep your defense fresh so that we can take advantage of Oklahoma's offensive line. Because if we just have guys out there forever, because I think depth is an issue. Um, I think our front 
our 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 front our first team is pretty good. I think our depth is an issue, could be an issue. So, uh, you know, if we get into a, a long, you know, I think if we get into like a shootout, I have zero hope of winning that game. I so. see. So going off that similar vein, what what exactly do you see going down in Norman this Saturday night? And do, do you have a score prediction? Uh, so like I said, I think, you know, my gut feeling is probably like a, a, especially by past standards of Oklahoma WVU games, relatively low scoring affair. Uh, I think, you know, it'll be a lot of probably some missed opportunities uh, by everyone involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, I could see a, a, I, I think it'll come down to probably the fourth quarter you know, third, fourth quarter in Oklahoma making just a few more plays. I think you always have just too much talent. Uh, so I would say, you know, I think my kind of in my head is like 24-13, 23-17 kind of game where West Virginia is never completely out of it, but that Oklahoma, you know, is is ultimately pretty comfortable with that win. That sounds about right. Either whichever team comes out on top, to be quite honest with you. And so... Andy Facemeyer, thanks for coming on the pod. Tell us where we can find all your stuff. Yes, yeah, so I'm always I have the smoking musket, uh, and you can find me on Twitter at, at @statboyandy with an I. Um, and so you can find me on Twitter and find me on uh, Smoking Musket, uh, and look forward to talking to you again. Definitely, and you know, there's actually going to be a football game this time. So yes, <laughs> yes. So we'll. We'll we'll keep in touch. We'll we'll talk soccer and Pittsburgh Steelers stuff on the timeline, but I'll check you later, all right? All right, great. All right, see ya. All right. So thoughts on what Andy said is what I'm gonna go off of is my goodness. I'm concerned, right? Uh, I mean if we're if I'm being quite honest, I'm concerned with what with what Andy brought because Oklahoma they lost Jalen Redmond for the foreseeable three to four weeks because he has he has a torn meniscus after this after the most recent Nebraska game. He has he has a torn meniscus, and that's going to be a issue going forward. I mean, like Oklahoma, he he mentioned their their willingness to pass over the middle, dink and dunk. And that's something that Oklahoma necessarily hasn't been good at against Tulane. They haven't been good against that uh, with, with Nebraska, despite how mobile or, or immobile that Jared Dagey has, has been. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of concerned for the Oklahoma Sooners, if we're being quite honest, especially with the absence of Jalen Redmond out for the next maybe month. That, that puts him out for the Red River shootout. That puts him out for a couple other games that are quite important. I mean, West Virginia, Kansas State, Texas. Those are all games that you're going to need a Jalen Redmond for. And the fact that he's not going to be able to go, then man, that's 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 that that is the probably one of the worst timings ever. And then on the flip side of the coin, mentioning the pass rush and getting after the quarterback, where OU is still for some reason bringing in Robert Conjol at center, and then bring in Andrew Raymond in the second half. I think that's really, really, really concerning. I mean, like, the offensive line looked good against Nebraska, and they could have run for 300 yards, but that's because Nebraska's playing soft zones. If, indeed, West Virginia does try to get after Spencer Rattler, 
I expect a big, I expect big plays to actually be there for the Sooners, but I do worry about, you know, Dante still just disrupting everything in the backfield, especially with the rush edge. When they bring that three, three, five closer to a four, two, five, I'm kind of concerned. Lincoln Riley says Danny Stutzman may be back soon. The dude had surgery. He's in a massive sling in like bandage. I don't, the word soon is relative folks soon can mean in a month soon can mean in a week soon could be uh, you know we'll see him around pretty soon like getting in a weight room or getting yoga and not actually like playing so i lincoln riley keeps all injuries under lock and key he labels all acl injuries or meniscus tears as lower leg injuries so lincoln riley in injuries is a thing and he would keep it close to the chest. Like, for example, Woody Washington, Billy Bowman, no idea if they're going to go on Saturday. He mentioned, oh, they might go this past Saturday, but while we all knew they were not going to go. Danny Stutzman, same thing. The Jalen Redmond torn meniscus has been confirmed. So that's really, that 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 is a deep concern that I have. So and from a scale of 1 to 10 for how concerned I am about this this week and going in the next week in Manhattan versus Kansas State. Let's say let's just focus on this week. As far as upset alert, I've got the Sooners at a six because West Virginia, despite their performance against Maryland, who is a far better team than Nebraska, and in that they could have won, and despite the their performance against Virginia Tech that they did win, which they just they had mistake upon mistake that just created a complex at the very end of the game where they could have honestly just won 31 to seven, but it ended up being a much tighter game than they intended. You could see that the Sooners really coming down to the wire once again against this West Virginia team. And like, I agree with Andy. I think it's going to be a low scoring game. I think it's going to be a close game. And I, I put the, I put him, I'm not pressing the panic button on OU yet, but I'm saying there are glaring issues that the Sooners are looking in the face and that they're really going to have to focus on their depth on the offensive line and on the defensive line. And so Andrew Rame, that guy needs to start. They need to stop filtering in this off the, the, these centers because the, the second most important position on the offense is going to be the center because that's the guy that's diagnosing what he's seeing on the defensive front right in front of him in order for protection statuses and maybe even to like alert like, you know, blitzes, and to alert the quarterback of other things so he can get out of certain sets. So having a legitimate center is important. And when it, when Andrew Rame enters the game, they block better, but maybe it's a thing where it's a thing be, between the ears where he's trying to diagnose play still. Who knows? I have no idea what to expect for Saturday from OU's offensive line perspective. No idea. I just know I'm putting my worry level at a six. It's not high. It's not that low. It's a little bit in the middle. And I know I'm, I'm just concerned. I'm concerned. And so OU defensive line is going to focus on some depth. Jalen Redmond's out. The good thing is that Oklahoma has developed some depth on the defensive line. I mean, like Isaiah Coe's really coming on. And of course, you have Josh Ellison. You got Perry and Winfrey. You got a lot of other guys that can come on. You Roger Grimes playing well. You've got a. You, you, there's just a ton of dudes that they've gotten over the last couple of years under Grinch and under Calvin Thibodeau and under Jamar Kane that are that can play at a high level. That I'm interested in seeing what they look like against a West Virginia offensive line because Oklahoma so far 
They haven't played a good offensive line. Tulane's offensive line, not good. Michael Pratt was literally limping to the huddle from the second quarter through the fourth quarter because he was getting knocked on his butt so often. Adrian Martinez wasn't limping to the huddle, not because Oklahoma wasn't putting him on his ass. They got they get they put five to six sacks on him because just because of just just because of his speed. Otherwise, Oklahoma would have sacked him nine, ten times. And so I'm really curious to see what Oklahoma is going to look like on their defensive front, but also their offensive line. That's a that's a that's a position of concern considering West Virginia has the talent to put guys in the NFL, most namely in Dante Stills. That will be disruptive, and that that's a concern I I also ha- I ha- I have, and I'm, I'm I'm curious to see what if Woody Washington's available to go, if Billy Bowman's able to go. Who knows? My score prediction, you know, it, it's somewhere around it where Andy's is. I, I've got like 31-21, a low-scoring affair. I don't think OU covers. I think OU should win, but that doesn't mean they will win. I mean, like we, we said this against Tulane. We said it against Nebraska. They should win. They have more talent than a lot of teams in the country, but they haven't quite put it together yet. And I'm curious to see how – West Virginia will attack its Oklahoma team if they will deploy a soft zone, or like Andy said, I'm curious to see if they will indeed just get after Spencer Rattler, which would open up, honestly, the offense for the Sooners a little bit more, but also make the Sooners more prone to negative plays and sacks and you know and, and, and mistakes by Spencer Rattler. So who knows? Regardless, I'm excited to see some football. Oh, he hasn't played West Virginia. All the time OU plays West Virginia, those games are chippy. 100% of the time, those games are chippy, regardless of how good West Virginia is or how bad they are. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see that game on Saturday. It's a Saturday night game. Crowds should be live. They should be liquored up and ready to go. And I'm excited to see some Sooners football. And, man, it, it, I, I have no idea what to think about this point. If Oklahoma comes out of this game as a blowout, I'll be surprised. If Oklahoma comes out of this game by the skin of their teeth by a win or a loss, I'm not surprised. It's just a matter of Oklahoma putting all their things together at the right moment, and we'll see what happens this weekend. I mean, the defense seems to have their heads on straight a little bit more than the offense, and I really wish, again, that Lincoln Riley would have this killer instinct mentality that Alex Grinch has is finish, 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 Step on your opponent's throats when you can. And that's one worry I have about Lincoln Riley, especially if this game is tight down the stretch that Andy mentioned. Hey, this game could end up being 14-7 going into half, kind of like last week. And if that's the case, I'm I'm concerned. And I think and I think a lot of our a, a lot of people that follow this team have the same concerns as well. And those concerns are valid. I mean, from what you've seen, like special teams has really screwed really screwed over Nebraska against OU. Special teams was not a strength of Tulane, but was a big strength for OU in that Tulane game where Gabe Burkich is making three 50-plus-yard field goals. So it's it's we don't know what to expect, and that's the, that's the big thing. That's the big question mark. And so I'm really curious to see how this game shakes out. But regardless, thanks for tuning in, guys. Follow us on CrimsonAndCreamMachine.com. You can follow us on Twitter at CCMachine. You can follow Jack at J. Larry Shield. Steven wasn't able to make it on tonight. You can follow him at OUUpdatedSB. You can follow me at Kamarabian CCM. This Discord link will be in the bio of this podcast. 
thank you guys for your continued lizardship, listenership, and 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 engagement. And we'll check you guys later with the post game podcast. Hopefully that early Sunday morning. And see you guys later. <laughs>